0: morning, everybody. Kevin uh, Kevin stole my joke about wishing everybody a happy NHL Free Agency Day. So I guess I just won't say it. Thanks for that. Um, It was going to have a lead-in, which is why I'm a little bit sad that uh, you ruined my intro. That's okay. Um, If you don't know much about hockey, today is the day where uh, any contracts that were signed in the past year that were supposed to end after this current season they they ended at midnight last night, so any of those players are free to go wherever they want now um, so typically, on a day like today, um, there is a lot of bad decisions made. Um, these players signed for tens of millions of dollars um, they signed for way more money than any of us will ever make in our lifetime, and uh, sometimes teams overcommit to how long they want to keep them, or to how much money they give them. And so if you're a hockey fan, today can feel like a lot of nervousness. Uh, especially if your team's in the running for a guy named John Tavares, who's the biggest fish on the market right now. As of 10.44 this morning, he still hasn't signed anywhere. I checked. Uh, but I left my phone down there in the seat, so I'm not going to be too upset. But if he signs, maybe someone just give me a nod and spell out the team with your hand or something. and I'll, uh, then, we'll, then I'll know. Um, but today, as I, as I mentioned, if you're a hockey fan, today can be filled with a lot of nervous feelings. Um, for some reason, sports fans really feel tied to the team that they that they cheer for. You know, I find that when I talk about the Detroit Red Wings, I often say, oh, well, we have a lot of young players, and we have this, and we need to do this. And people often look at me and go, "You, you know you're not employed by this team, right? You know that your decisions and your opinions have no bearing on what they do, and yet, I still speak like that. And a lot of us do. And it's funny, when, when you look at sports, um, when it comes to being a sports player, worrying about details matters a lot. So if you're, if you're, a, if you're a professional athlete and you, you keep yourself up at night because you're watching tape of your games or you're trying to figure out your opponent, and you know, in, the, the, in the interview the next day, you said, yeah, I couldn't sleep because I was just so concerned with these little details and, and so concerned. My whole life is consumed by making myself a better player. The media looks at you and goes, that's, that's passion. That guy, that guy gets it. That girl gets it. She, she wants to be a professional athlete. And, and, and artists are similar, right? You, you may, if you're an artist, you may agonize over how the, the curvature of one of your lines on your art piece. And worrying and concerning yourself with those little details is seen as a good thing because it means you're true to your craft and that you're, you're li- letting these things flow out of you. So in some cases in the world, worrying about things and being nervous about things and maybe caring too much about little details is a really good thing. Now for us as believers, this isn't exactly what we've been called to. We've been called to something pretty different. Uh, when I was in college, I wrote a paper on Matthew 6, and, it, and I don't, I'm not overstating this when I say it changed my life. Um, I don't know how many people would say that about a university assignment, <laughs> if it ever changed their lives, but... The beauty of Bible school is that the things you're writing about and the things you're studying can often be life changing and very applicable to your life and your relationship with Jesus. So I wrote a paper on, on Matthew 6, um, specifically on the section where Jesus talks about worrying. And so when I was given a totally open canvas, blank canvas to say, you get to choose what you're preaching on, I thought, that's going to be what I want to preach on. Now, I pulled up my old paper from, this would have been 2011. Uh, and I decided not to include any of it in this sermon. Uh, I don't know how I got an 80 on it, because it is not good. So I'm not, I'm not going to read from it. I feel like it's not beneficial. Um, plus, it's not a scholarly paper by any standards, so it's not going to be helpful for you. But what I will read from is Scripture. So if you, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew 6. We're going to start at verse 25. Go down to verse 34. It should be up on the screen as well. Jesus is saying this. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothes himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, how true that last sentence is. Um, Jesus starts off by saying, "For this reason, I say to you," which means we actually have to go back, right? We have to know what he's meaning by this reason. So we go back a couple verses. And this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching us a lot of different things. One of them, uh, the, the few that come right before this, this passage that I read, uh, are these ones. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So he's, it, it's, it's a question of, of treasure. It's a question of what we value, right? He's trying to teach us what we value in this life matters a lot. What we care about matters a lot. He then says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And that if your eye is bad, your whole body will be bad. It's a question of vision, not physical vision, but actually what we set our eyes on. What we focus on. What we give our time and energy to. And he says, if if that thing, if what that is, is bad for you, the rest of your life will also be affected. Then he says, no one can serve two masters. Right? You can't serve wealth and God. This is a question of worth. What do we value? in life? What is important to us? Those three things matter a lot when we move into this section about worry, because he's saying, because of those things, because of of the fact that you you shouldn't store up treasures on earth, because of the fact that your eye is the lamp to your body, and because of the fact that you can't serve two masters, he then says, don't be worried about your life. Those things matter a lot as far as a lead-in to what he's talking about. So, if what you care about is in line with Jesus, and if what you fix your eyes on is in line with Jesus, and if you only serve one master and it's Jesus, then actually Jesus is saying you don't need to worry about your life. You don't need to worry about what you'll eat or what you drink or what clothes you'll wear. Uh, John Stott is a is a or was a pastor. Um, who I also got to, um, not physically meet, but mentally meet, I guess, by reading a lot of his books in college. And he, he had a great, a great quote. It's a little bit long, it's a little bit wordy, um, but just, I think it's on the screen as well, so, so follow along if, if you can. He says this Only when we have grasped with our minds the comparative durability of the two treasures, so corruptible and incorruptible, The comparative usefulness of the two eye conditions, light and darkness, good and bad, and the comparative worth of these two masters, God and wealth, are we ready to make our choice? And only when we have made our choice for heavenly treasure, for light, and for God, then, therefore, I tell you, this is how you must go on to behave. Don't be anxious about your life nor about your body, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's giving a very scholarly summary of this chapter of Scripture, right? He says we have to um, grasp with our minds the difference between corruptible and incorruptible treasures, and we have to understand the comparative worth of two masters, God and wealth, and, of course, the, the eye conditions, as he calls them, what we focus on, light and darkness, Jesus or not Jesus. Once we grasp those then we make the choice on, on each of those three things, right? One of them is um, heavenly treasure. If we choose heavenly treasure over physical treasure, if we choose light over darkness and we choose to serve God over wealth, then he says that, that's when these verses make a lot more sense to us. And he's, what he's not saying is that if you choose Jesus, your life will be super easy and you'll get a ton of great things. We know that's not true. Many of us follow Jesus in this room and would say that our life has not gotten easier and our life has not been peachy because of it. This is far from a prosperity gospel, but what he's saying is once you've grasped those things and once you've made those decisions, then we can take to heart what Jesus said where he says, don't worry about your life. Don't spend your energy thinking about those things. We don't need to worry about them because we've, we've rejected one, And decided to serve the other, right? We're rejecting earthly treasures. We're rejecting darkness in our lives. We're rejecting wealth. And we're saying, actually, I want to focus on the opposite of these things. And that's why we don't have to worry about them anymore, because we've rejected them. They're over there, and we've chosen Jesus instead. So then, as we continue through this passage, Jesus dives farther into worry. And he gives lots lots of examples as to why worrying isn't necessary. For us. Now, the last time I preached, I I explained that I'm a very, I'm a person of, of simple faith in the sense that I can read something and I can just take it to heart and be like, okay, this is what I need to do. So, and I think if Jesus, if every one of us was of simple faith, he could have stopped after that first line, right? He could have said, don't be anxious about your life. Let's move on to something else. He could have, but he doesn't. Because I think he understands that worry for us is a very natural thing. And so in giving lots of examples and diving deeper, Jesus never claims that the solution to the problem of the anxious soul is to just turn away from anxiety. He never says that the way that you don't worry is just not to worry. He's giving examples and he's he's digging in here because he says there's a lot that needs to be processed in all of this. For some people, it could be as simple as saying, oh, I'm not supposed to worry? Okay, I won't. That's kind of been the path that I've been on for the last seven or eight years. But I know for many others, and I'd say the majority of people, there's a lot more processing that needs to happen, and for myself too. So by giving examples, he's not just saying, the cure for anxiety is just not to be anxious anymore. That's not how it works. So he establishes what not to worry about, and essentially, it's security, right? He says food, drink, and clothing, these things, they add security to your life. I mean, you need some of them to live, certainly. But he's saying that when you make an obsession of these things, when you, when you think about them all the time, when all of your energy is going to things like, what kind of food am I going to have? What am I going to drink today? What am I going to wear? He actually goes on to say that's, that's actually an obsession, if we want to use that word. That's an obsession of the Gentiles. Now in this case, obviously unless we are of Jewish descent, we are Gentiles. But what he's saying is this is the obsession of those who don't know God, who don't know Jesus. That's what they obsess over. And he goes, that's that's not what you should obsess over. Your your energy that you would give to those things should go somewhere completely different. It should be on God's kingdom, seeking his righteousness, seeking his kingdom. And yet, we love stuff. We love love. Security, we love weird things. Um, there is a website called thisiswhyimbroke.com, um, which I frequent every once in a while. I, I've bought a couple things from there, all very cheap. But here are some of the things that are on that website, some of their most popular items. The first one is a robotic pet fish, only $20. Here's, here's a description. While other pets wither and die, the robotic fish is the one pet you can count on to stand the test of time, even if you forget to feed it. As long as there's juice in his batteries, this little guy will happily swim all day and night for your personal enjoyment. Nothing I would love more than watching a robotic fish swim around. Uh, the next one, finger food utensils. You can get six pairs for $113. $113. Here's the description. Only savages would dare eat finger foods without finger food utensils. These handy utensils let you dig into the messiest and tastiest snacks without having to deal with the complement or the complimentary coating of stickiness that engulfs your fingers by the end of your meal. Who would want that? Next one, man snack buckets. Okay, $86 a bucket. These man buckets are meant to suit any type of man. Each bucket comes chock full of carefully curated items to match the bucket's various themes like Mr. Healthy, Man Snacks, and The Handyman. So you can cater to your man's likes and interests. I don't even want to start on that one. Uh, the next one, Headcase, Personalized Face Luggage. I'm going to say that face doesn't belong to the person carrying it. Kind of looks like a baby onesie. $47. The personalized face luggage makes it impossible for anyone else to mistake their bag for yours. I guess unless you have a twin. The bags are available in three distinct sizes and come plastered with your lovely mug on both sides so you can quickly spot your bag. $47 well spent. The next one. Virtual reality exercise bike. I am not making this up. $650. Going outside is overrated. By getting a top this virtual reality exercise bike, you'll be able to stay fit without having to go outside and breathe fresh air. It's compatible with PSVR, Oculus Rift, and HTC Vive headsets and comes with a slew of VR arcade games. I feel like I'm on the prices right right now. Number six. The World's Most Expensive Vacuum Cleaner, $1.8 million. Experience a small slice of how the rich and privileged live by cleaning your house with the World's Most Expensive Vacuum Cleaner. One of only 100 in existence, it comes coated with a lavish 24-karat gold plating. It's picking up dirt. I I don't know. And the last one, the Killer Whale Submarine. $146,000. I want to see one of these just flying down the river under the bridges. Dominate the ocean with reckless abandon with this killer whale submarine. This amazing two-person submersible powerboat is the whale-style version of the sea breacher boats. At long last, you can experience the awesome feeling that Willie felt when he was free. If you're bored this afternoon, please look up a video of this thing. It is unbelievable. There is no shortage of humans trying to make their lives better with things. Right? Because if you love chicken wings, but you hate sauce on your fingers, you need utensils, obviously. Um, we Our thought process right now might be, well, as long as I don't own a killer whale submarine, I'm probably doing Okay. <laughs> I'm probably not putting my focus in the wrong place. And I get that. Um we have access to a lot of things in our lives that that would say that it would make us think that we don't need Jesus. Right? These might be some of them. There might be other things in our lives that that we, we might replace Jesus with or say that we don't need Jesus because we have everything we need. We have we have The wealth, we have the security, we have everything that we need, and we actually may find ourselves not asking Jesus for anything. Whereas Jesus tells us that our our thought process should be putting the kingdom above all else. Right? When he says seek first the kingdom, what he's saying is that should be what you care about the most: seeking the kingdom, doing kingdom work, understanding the righteousness of God. And these are obviously extreme, weird examples. But they kind of point to a direction of, of, of us not putting our focus on Jesus nearly as much as we should. And I'm guilty of that as well. I don't own a killer whale submarine, though. Jesus points this out. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And then one of my favorite lines from Scripture, Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to their life? basically saying you can't, can't do it. You can't make your life last longer by worrying about it. And what we want to focus on is is the idea of birds here. So how does God feed the birds? Jesus says that God does it, right? Your heavenly father feeds them. Certainly he's not holding out his hand with a bunch of bird seed in it and just every bird in the world comes to his hand and eats from it. That's not how it works, right? He puts things in place for them to get it themselves. Flowers don't go out of their way to make themselves beautiful. They rely on what Jesus has given them already. How God has created them already. It says they don't, they don't toil to try and make themselves beautiful. They don't spin and say, look how pretty I am. God has already made them that way and they're okay with that. And I think what's most important is that if these birds who have no knowledge of God If they can trust to be fed day in and day out, God's children, who hopefully have some knowledge of God, or maybe even a relationship with Him, maybe even have seen miracles, depending on who we are, should have that same trust and maybe even more. Now, I know that many of us don't worry about where our food's going to come from the next day. We are lucky in that sense, certainly. We We aren't concerned with I don't have clean drinking water, where am I going to get that from? So what is our response here? Do we just say, well, let's just never care about food? Is our response to say, not ever buy food and just hope it shows up on our doorstep? Do we say, we're supposed to care about food a little bit? Where, where do we fit on this, on this scale of learning to trust the Lord? Well, Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life right? And he calls himself the manna that was sent from heaven. And so if you don't know that story as well, he's, he's harking back to the Old Testament when the Israelites grumbled and complained a lot. <laughs> it's most of the Old Testament, it seems like, where they're complaining about how, how they don't have enough food. God has promised them they'll go to this land and they're not there and they, they're just complaining. All they want to complain about is, God, I want more food. I want more food. Please take care of us. So I tell this to Moses. Moses goes and talks to God and God says, okay, I will literally send you down bread from heaven every day. You'll wake up in the morning and there will be this manna, this bread, on the ground and you can go eat it. So that happened for many years and, and the Jewish people held on to that for a long time. So even in this story that where Jesus is saying that he is the bread of life, the the, the people hearing this story at this point say, well... Yeah, I guess you could be bread of life, but like God sent down bread from heaven for us. Like that was amazing. What is it? What are you talking about? You're the bread of life. How does it compare to what we've gotten in the past? And Jesus like Jesus is saying, I'm actually that. I'm that bread from heaven for you right now. I'm that bread for your soul, for your spirit. I have come down from heaven. God has placed me here on earth to be with you every day for thirty odd years, and to tell you about Him. So our, our concern actually isn't, we shouldn't be thinking, like, how much, do I, how much should I care about food? Where, how much money do I spend on the food at the grocery store? Do I need to go once a day to make sure that I'm not, like, holding on to stuff, I'm not storing, I'm not reaping in barns, whatever? Our focus should actually be, do you care more about Jesus than you care more about your food? Sorry, do you care more about Jesus than you care about your food? That's where our focus needs to be. Do you care more about Jesus than you care about how you look? That's the basis of, of where Jesus is going with this story, with this idea of Matthew 6. This whole passage is aimed at showing these people that God is attentive to human need and he cares about his children, right? That's why, that's why Jesus compares us to these sparrows and to this grass and these flowers. Because he says, these obviously these things don't don't aren't uh, going out of their way to store up food or to make themselves look beautiful. But the point that some people often forget is that what Jesus says next is, God cares about you more than he cares about those sparrows. God cares about you more than he cares about those flowers and that grass. He is attentive to your needs. He knows what you need before you even ask it. Right? He, What Jesus is saying here is that if we seek God's kingdom, we don't need to worry about so many things in our lives. Now, seeking God's kingdom isn't going to cure you of anxiety. Seeking God's kingdom is not going to make you immediately stop worrying about whatever's going on in your life. It was not going to cure your afflictions. We know that. Don't hear me say something different. But I think it's up to us To every day remind ourselves what we're grateful for. I think we need to think about the things that God has given us. Because it's actually a lot, right? For some of us, he's given us jobs that can provide well for our families. That that buy us food that make us a happy family, right? There's all these trickle-down effects that we don't, I don't, often think about the fact that God actually handed me this. We need to thank God for his provision daily, and every day flip that switch. Flip that switch of saying, okay, I don't need to worry about these things because God has taken care of me. Right? He's taken care of me in the past, and I know he will take care of me in the future. If you remind yourself of that every day, it's not going to fix your worry, but I think that it might move you closer daily to remembering how God has, had, has provided for us in the past. Just like these Israelites did. They said, well, God gave us this manna in the desert. And Jesus is saying, I'm that continuation of that now for you. I'm that provision for you now. So it's not wrong to think about the way God has provided for you in the past. Um, there's a story that I often think back to when I was, when I was in college again, where um, I was lucky enough to have a car when I went to Briarcrest. Not many people did. Uh, a lot of people came from out of province or or just didn't have a vehicle on their own. And so I was often uh, someone who was driving people to Moose Jaw, which was like 10 or 15 minutes away, or to Regina, which is about an hour away. Um, and I felt like I, I kind of just felt like you know if I'm if I'm gifted this this vehicle, I should probably use it to to help people out. And uh, I wasn't working during college, so But partway through the semester, I think it was my first year of college, my mom calls me and says, Spencer, I don't know if you've looked at your bank account lately, but it's basically empty. Why are you spending so much money on gas? And so I told her. I I told her just, just what I told you. I felt like I was supposed to be driving people places. And she goes, well, that's great. I mean, that's a very nice thing to do. Maybe charge like $5 of gas money, you know, just to make sure you don't go broke, which is... A very logical and totally acceptable thing to ask of your stupid seventeen-year-old son, um, but I really felt at that point this strong conviction that I actually wasn't supposed to do that. And so, believe it or not, I disobeyed my mother. She's right there; she knows this. Don't worry. Um, but I, I, I wasn't charging—I wasn't charging people for gas money. I felt like I was. I really felt this push from God saying, "Don't do it. I got you." And so lo and behold, it's the end of December, and I'm about to drive home and look at my bank account, yeah, it's pretty much zero. And so I'm thinking, okay, I thought God was going to take care of me here. What happened to that story? Now I have to go home and look my mom in the face and say, I'm wrong, you were right, which is something that happened a fair bit in our household, and also come to grips with the fact that God didn't provide for me like I thought he would. Well, I get home that Christmas, and there is an envelope on my bed, which is my tax return which normally people get around April. (laughs) So I, for some reason, got mine in December, and it was just as much money as I needed to get to the second semester of school before I got a job again. And so I don't know the process that went into uh, my stepfather doing our taxes however many months late (laughs) that year. I'm not sure how that happened or why that happened, except to know that I think God was showing that he was providing for me in weird ways. Right? I got as much money as I needed to make my way through second, through second semester while still providing people with these rides without charging for gas money. This is just one example of, of provision where I look back at that, and if I'm ever worried about, about money, I think, you know, if I'm actually seeking the kingdom first, and I'm actually spending my money where I think I should be, where God wants me to, I have a history of God providing for me. And so I need to trust that moving forward as well. You may not have that exact same story or a similar story even, but we can be encouraged by the stories of others, which is why I told you that story. I've got more that I've heard from other people that also encourage me to trust God daily because I've seen him provide for others as well. John Stott says this, which which is a very hard sentence to read, I actually think. He says this, worry is forbidden us, it is incompatible with the Christian faith. So I want to ask this question. Does this mean that, that if I worry, I don't love Jesus? This is the first question that came to my mind. And immediately my answer was no. If you worry, you can still love Jesus in that. Thankfully. Thankfully. Because we are on a long journey right? We are hopefully continually being sanctified, cleansed, taught how to be more holy, taught how to be more like Jesus every day. If you worry about things in your life, it doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. But he does give you the ways to move forward. He does talk about the way he's provided in the past. Maybe you know someone who's got a story where they were provided for in the past. You can look to the future and say, I have a God who, who has never let me down in the sense of how he thinks about it. God may have let us down in the sense of how we think things should happen. God may not have met our expectations, but it doesn't mean he's let us down. Right? There's a, there's a very distinct difference there. So our ambition, when when, God's, when Jesus is talking about ambition, our ambition needs to be Jesus-focused. Richard you guys can come up here. Our ambition for self can be pretty modest, right? It can be for good tasting, healthy food, clothes that I feel comfortable in, a home that allows for guests so I can practice hospitality. Those can be modest self-ambition, which is good. Our ambitions for ourselves can be grandiose as well. They can be for the highest quality food, clothes that demonstrate that I have enough money to buy them a home that makes me look like I have the best taste and style, a higher salary to feed my ego, more power at my job, etc., etc. Those can be ambitions that we take on ourselves that are not good. Ambitions for God are different because they actually mean that God is glorified through them. So if we're spending our energy and our focus on something, whether it's worry or not, it should actually be on the ambitions that we have for Jesus. John three thirty. One of our ambitions can be for him to increase and me to decrease. One of our ambitions can be for wisdom. That happens a lot in Scripture. For a better understanding of our spiritual gifts. That's a good ambition to have because they serve the church. For God to use us to spread the gospel, whether that's us going somewhere or us supporting and funding missionary work in another country or in our own country. Our ambition is what matters here. Our, our desires, our passion, just like so many other things in Scripture, is about heart posture, right? If our heart posture is to say that God doesn't take care of me and I need to work in order to get everything done so that he, because he doesn't take care of me and he might never, that needs to switch towards a heart posture that says, God takes care of me. He cares about me way more than the sparrows and the grass and all these other things that he has created and that he will provide for me in the future. And that might start to change our worry day in and day out. But again, this is an incredibly long process. So let me pray for us because I feel like we need it, myself included. God, help us not to worry. Help us to have our ambitions in the right place. Help us to desire more of you and less of ourselves. Because we can't do that on our own, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.